Welcome to Home Education Matters, the weekly podcast supporting you on your home education journey. another Home Education Matters and I am joined by our dog behaviourist expert Joe Moorcroft again today as part of our series looking at how dog behavior dog behaviourism meets progressive parenting. We've had some very interesting episodes on play and on the importance of relationship and today we're going to be talking about the importance of manners and etiquette or perhaps the non-importance of manners and etiquette. Who knows where the conversation will go and we're going to be looking at how manners and etiquette matter in raising your dog and how manners and etiquette matter when you're being co-raised with your children as I always like to think of it because they raise us as much as we raise them realistically don't they so thank you so much Joe, for joining us today and um why don't you start off by telling us telling us a little bit about yourself and then what you think when it comes to etiquette and manners when it comes to dog training yeah so hi everyone I'm Joe. for those of you who haven't heard me before and I am a dog behaviorist and I'm also a parent to two young boys my eldest just turned four this week as well so we're uh we're creeping on up in toddler years <laughs> more birthday cake because the last time I spoke to you your husband had a birthday so there's oh, birthday cake and now your son so it's just constant birthday cake in your household isn't it is quite well yes yeah I like cake who doesn't need cake <laughs> who doesn't um <laughs> Yeah, so I suppose with with manners and etiquette then, um, interestingly, I suppose this ties in with a group coaching we had on the weekend just gone. And we were very much talking about our expectations with our dogs. And I will always tie it into, into children, as you all know by now, hence me being here. <laughs> somebody actually passed comment on my children the other week saying, oh my, haven't you got obedient children? I was like, obedient it's like oh that word just gives me the ick factor like obedient what what does that mean exactly is it because again they have got manners and good etiquette and and all of this and it made me realize that obedience is definitely a strong term you hear in in dog world so a lot of people will say, oh, yes, if I'm ringing for puppy training or whatever it may be, I just need them to be more obedient. And essentially, I think what people, and this is a massive generalization and an an assumption, but I think what people mean by the obedience side and the manners and etiquette is that they want a dog slash child that will listen to them. And they want a well-behaved, air quote, dog slash child and for me it's just a bit how extreme do you take it (laughs) so when you've got a well-behaved well ultimately well-behaved is very subjective and I've literally just been with a family now where we took a stooge dog with us and the stooge dog in my mind was very well behaved but in that particular owners um, of that stooge dog um, owner of a dog is a whole other thing we won't go on to that now (laughs) but that particular owner of the stooge dog she was really worried that this dog was misbehaving in the environment that we're taking him into whereas I thought he was beautifully behaved (laughs) but it's just this expectation again that when you go into social settings our expectations of our dogs and therefore children changes so much so what you would almost let slide at home 
or in a safe space to you kind of goes out the window when you're out and about and you put these unrealistic expectations on both yourself and your dog. I think you're completely right because there's that American phrase, isn't there? Like using your indoor voice and your outdoor voice and this idea, I'm never sure which way around it works, but for me, there's a difference in how my children, how things I might let slide in the house compared to things I might let slide in the park, things I might let slide in the supermarket, things I might let slide in a restaurant. There's certain differences and it's the same with dogs, isn't it? I mean, we don't we don't expect our dogs our dogs to behave exactly the same way in the house as they would for example when they're out on a walk on the lead yes yeah no exactly that and i think a lot of it is again it's this weird expectation that we have um and so some of the things that we were going through in our in our group coaching work the weekend was very much about expectations and if you look at a simple behavior of getting a dog to sit when you change the context and you change the environment, it can be really difficult for that dog to sit. And I did a little exercise this morning where I normally just grab a handful of kibble and toss it in the garden and the dogs will go, yay, I'm, I just get to go out there and go and find it. feeding. Scatter feeding, exactly that. <laughs> and this morning I thought, hmm, I'm going to try a little experiment and I'm just going to see, can my dog sit before I open the door and then he can follow through and go outside. And oh my goodness, it was so difficult for him because I've essentially put a pattern interrupter in. He's not used to having to do that. And all of my precursors of my behavior was I've picked up the bag of kibble. I have gone to the door where he normally gets to just shoot out. And I didn't follow through with my normal behavior pattern. And instead I asked for a sip. And when I was talking to this with some of our clients, they were like, oh, but isn't he being a bit disobedient then because he knows how to sit and he's not doing it. I'm like, well, I've never really taught it him in this environment because I've just completely changed it. And then there was loads of other variables as well. So we've got um, a wooden floor. And when you look back at the video, cause I recorded it, you can see that he really struggles to sit. He's a big dog. He's a big, and he was sliding on the floor. So I was like, well, actually my expectation of him being able to hold a sit is completely unrealistic because now I'm causing him discomfort and you think about it with children that if you ask them to do something and the environment isn't right they are not physically capable of doing it sometimes like if you was to ask them to sit still but it just ha so happens to be that there's a wobbly chair they're not going to be able to do it and it, it's all of these little things that I just don't think we as humans are always very aware of but at all times and certainly for me coming from the behavior background this is where I genuinely think that it it helps my parenting style so much more because I can look at all of these little tiny nuances and go actually yeah you are struggling in this environment so let's how can I improve the environment or how can I get you out of it so would it work similarly to dogs when, for example, you want to take your child to like a silver service restaurant in six months time? I know you you had the thing with the flight, didn't you, where you <laughs> wanted your children to go on flight and you prepped them for like a year in advance. And uh, is, would it work the same way? So with a dog, you want you want them ultimately to be able to sit on command in all sorts of circumstances, hard floors when they want to go out and get their food from the garden, all sorts of all sorts of opportunities, but you don't go straight in with the very hard one. You build up their yeah. sort of obedience in that way. So would you say that um, when it comes to children, 
that we that we kind of want to allow them to be able to feel comfortable in all sorts of scenarios. So we build up to the harder scenarios. Yeah, and I think to a degree, yes. But then ultimately, as with everything in behavior world, it's it, it's, it depends. So I am very big on choice-based learning from both the dog's perspective and our children and even our own as adults it's like i'd much rather have a choice i want to sit down and do something um you may or may not know that i'm in my second year of doing my degree on animal behavior and that's a whole other thing about being in the system again um i'd much rather have a bit more choice in that but yeah so it is thinking about with our with our kids again it's like as the same with dogs so yes if we come back to that that sit example uh, the example I was talking about the other day was getting our dogs to sit at the side of the road. I think that's hopefully fair enough to generalize and say the majority of people expect that as a behavior. You're walking along and then as a curb, oh, plump your, your butt on the floor and then off we go again. But it's it's kind of asking ourselves again, like, why? Mm. Why does it need to be a sit? What's wrong with the dog just standing there calmly? Um and then I compared it to walking my kids around the, the block, very similarly to as I do with the uh, with the dogs. Um, in fact, no, better example. I was at a garden centre the other day and we were getting in the Christmas spirit. I said the C word, but we, we love it here. <laughs> and there were so many children in this garden centre where I I call them leads, but they're, the, you know, the child reigns. Mm. So, theoretically you've not got an off lead child it just it just compared to dogs so much to me and <laughs> the the on lead children were actually really struggling in that environment whereas my kids for all intents and purpose were off lead and again they're only two and now four and because we've put so much work into the relationship so you know nod to the other podcast we did a however long ago that was now, because we've got that relationship and we've worked on the manners and we've worked on the etiquette, they could be in an off-lead setting. But then when we come to the car park, for example, and I need them to do the equivalent of a sit behavior, you'd ask for the dog because I need them to pause. Well, instead, I just ask them to, can you hold my hand, please? It's the equivalent of just asking for a behavior that puts a pause in that's going to be appropriate for the situation. And again, if I'm walking a dog and all I'm trying to do is get a sit for some kind of obedience or a good manners or whatever it may be, like, does it need to be a sit? Is there a better option? So is it okay if they remain in a stand, but they just wait for a few seconds for you to check out the situation and go? Can you imagine if we all walked around as human beings and sat at a curb every time we came to them? <laughs> Or, or or worse would be, can you imagine if we're a human beings that always did what we were told? I mean, that's even more slightly terrifying, isn't it? And and I think sometimes we raise our children, uh, or sometimes there's a perception that children should be raised to obey and to and to do what society wants. And here we are all are as home educators doing exactly what society doesn't want us to do, which is take our children out of the school system and educate them ourselves. So it's interesting, I think. And actually, I think a lot of our listeners will be sort of resonant with the idea that children shouldn't necessarily just have blind obedience and they shouldn't necessarily sort of be taught particular things. You, This is what you do because this is the expectation upon you. But there's no doubt that I think people's expectations of our children's behaviour influences us and influences how we want them to interact with the world. Uh, to take your example of the dog sitting at the curb, 
I started to, my dog is quite a big, scary looking dog. I like to have her sitting next to me when I'm waiting to cross the road. And I taught her that when she was a puppy. And then recently I've stopped because it occurred to me the only reason I was doing it was because I quite liked people driving past to think what a well-behaved dog she's got. And I thought this is a ridiculous reason to get her to sit down next to me. So now she just stands quite calmly next to me. But isn't that interesting that it very much leads into what you're saying, that sometimes we can instill in both our children and our dogs um, commands or uh, behavior that we want based not on what we think matters, but what we think other people will think matters. Oh, gosh, yeah, no, it is. Everything is about that societal expectation. I think wherever you go, whatever you do, there is this fear that's like, oh, my goodness. And I, I will put my hands up. I am still very guilty. In some situations, I am definitely getting better because I'm aware of it and I will work on myself. I think we mentioned it in one of our earlier podcasts as well about the manners of please and thank you and how we genuinely do not ask our kids to do that. However, at, um, at Clay's birthday party he had last week, there was loads of new people to our house because it was friends from his little forest school and they were all giving him presents and the words just came spouting out of my mouth. What do you say? <laughs> say thank you. <laughs> And I was like, for God's sake, <laughs> I did it. I did the societal thing. Um, and again, it's not going to be completely detrimental because, and again, I think we've talked about it in another podcast. I'm very much a believer in the relationship account. You know, you have these little mini withdrawals where you do make your little whoops mistakes and it's okay. But yeah, just being aware of it for the for the majority of it and going, well, yeah, actually, what are we teaching them and how? How are we proofing that behavior to make sure that, yes, that's kind of the the norm rather than the, you know, the the odd bits that, that come in. But it's, yeah, it's just really making sure that that foundation of learning is there and then you are giving them that choice. Because even if you think again about um, a sit, so one of the childminders that we use for my youngest, who's two, we've had conversations recently about him sitting still at the table for lunch. And she was like, so what do you do at home? Why does he not sit still? I was like, well, a for starters, he's two. Then we have the added thing that he's a boy. And we know that boys really can't sit still. Um, hence. And one of the other reasons that we are choosing not to go down the, the school system. And I was like, well, he does have a chair at home and he is able to do it. But again, we give him choice of whether or not he wants to sit on his knees or sit on his bum. For me, if you're still at the table and we're all together, then that's fine. And if you can do that eight times out of 10 that I ask you to sit at the table with us, I'll I'll take the two times that you sit on your knees. I'm happy. <laughs> or if you want to sit on your knees at home and then you can sit on your bum when we're out and about, fine. But if you also want to sit on your knees when we're out and about, that's also good with me it's fine but I think we we're quite open in our house where we will have these conversations and say you know sometimes we have to do these things that we don't necessarily want to do and sometimes they just don't make sense but let's just roll with it and then let's see how we can reshape the world and I do genuinely have these conversations with my dog as well (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of the things as well are 
reflect your own family values, don't they? So, for example, things that certain manners or etiquette that are important to you as a family, maybe ones that you may be not exactly insistent of, but you maybe mirror more in your behavior so that your children pick up on and other things maybe just aren't that important to you. I'll give you an example. My children have tutored off today on the bus together. They've got the bus to Swansea together. It's quite a long bus. It's the first time they've gone off together on the bus together. And I watched them go off to this bus stop and they were so scruffy. They're so scruffy. My daughter had like stains down her T-shirt. My son had like mismatching clothes. And and I looked at them and I thought, oh, my God, you know, you know, when you suddenly see your children, like when you got used to seeing them and then you suddenly see them from an outsider's perspective and think they look so scruffy. But that doesn't see that just doesn't worry me because it's not a, a high family value for me. Whereas, for example, the ability to be able to articulate their wants and needs is really important to me, always has been. And so that, when it comes to that kind of etiquette where they're able to stand up for themselves, they're able to speak to the bus driver, they're able to, you know, um, uh, communicate themselves, their their way around the world, that's been very important to me. So that kind of manners, communicative manners, is more important to me than perhaps um, physical manners in some way. And I think a lot of that is just our own family values and the things that matter. So I wonder whether for you, because you've got younger children than me, so I wonder whether for you there is an element of safety that comes in when you're teaching some sort of etiquette or some sort of manners, where it's just, you know, when you said you like you're about to cross the road and you get them to hold your hands, I'm guessing a lot of this is actually some things just need to be done for safety reasons. It is that that mindset again of going like right okay in these situations unfortunately we have to listen to somebody else um same with my dogs in some situations you have to listen to me it's not appropriate for you to be running around and doing whatever it is you want to do um i need to help you with boundaries and all of this that and the other and some a bit of structure but it where i can allow you to and allow is such a horrible word isn't it <laughs> but where <laughs> i can set up situations that allow you to have your inner needs and your instincts met which couldn't be more important certainly in 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 dog world when you look at all these different breeds um again me with huskies if i want to work on loose lead manners well for me to work on loose lead manners i am actually suppressing a very natural behavior in my dog of pulling so if I suppress that behavior that much, I'm going to get a spillover of behavior somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I'm really a big believer of the same with with children as well, regardless of what age. If you start suppressing behaviors because it's not socially appropriate or, again, the, these manners and etiquettes, you will get a spillover of behavior somewhere else. This is actually a, a, a sort of mantra I had when my children were younger. And my every now and then, not very often, but every now and then people would sort of like say, you're not going to like pull them up on that or you're not going to sort of, you know, like intervene or discipline them or something. And actually we're, our next podcast will be moving on to, to the role of discipline. But I would often say, and this was my little mantra, is you have to pick your battles. Because I just like you, if you're constantly, I, I used to hang out with other parents and they would be quite controlled controlling of quite restrictive of of what their child did and what you tended to have would you, you would have this massive spillover then in other areas and I think when because I was quite I don't know how to put it but uh, relaxed let's say relaxed I was quite relaxed about rules and things like that I didn't impose a lot of them when there was a rule they knew that it kind of mattered so and they didn't have that sense of I'm constantly being 
sort of held in I'm constantly being held in so I'm going to burst out now yeah exactly that and it's um you know how again I feel like it's quite a general thing but please forgive me if if it's not um we almost have this expectation don't we that if your child has either been at school all day or in a childcare setting or even at a party all day or at another friend's house they've been out of their safe home environment um realize i'm air quoting a lot and nobody else can see it <laughs> um, but then they come home and you hear these phrases don't you like, why are they so well behaved for you and i get all of this and that like, well yes because that's a massive suppression of the natural behavior and again i do see this with dogs a lot they then get into a safe environment or wherever it may be if that's home or, or whatever and you get this spillover of crazy jumping up mouthing vocalizing which is not unsimilar to toddlers <laughs> you get this spillover and it's something that i don't suppose i actually spend much time thinking about but now that i am i think we are very fortunate certainly with my boys that i don't see any of that spillover um or if i do it is very rare to the point where it's such a small percentage it's never really entered my radar whereas i do see this a lot with other children that i surround myself with when i'm visiting friends and and family you get a lot of this tip over behavior and i think it is genuinely because we expect too much with manners etiquette society and we're not letting kids be kids I think as well that a lot of it, if there's so if there's so much expectation to do this, do that, do this, do that, why? Oh, just because that's the way it is. It doesn't make any sense to them. And what happens, I think, is that children, if they have too many rules imposed that aren't explained or don't have that they don't feel have any sense behind them, that it ends up everything gets thrown out. You know, they just think, well, none of this makes any sense. So they're just, I'm not going to obey any of it because, you know, they either obey everything without question or they throw everything out. That's my experience of teenagers anyway, is that if you, not, although not home educated ones, and actually I did a very interesting podcast with Lainey Liberty, who has um, an approach to parenting that, you know, you could call radical parenting, but it's actually partnership parenting. And she said that actually when you are very honoring of your child's autonomy, you don't get that teenage rebellion. You don't get this um basically normally a lot of psychology shows that teenagers have to have a rebellious stage and if they don't they then rebel when they're older but actually this is based on um a kind of quite a repressive childhood and what i found with my two when they got to they've just not had a rebellion and it, but neither do they blindly conform it just it doesn't have to be that kind of uh, dichotomous behavior that i think we sort of feel that you know if we put all these rules in place, children are either going to obey them all blindly and we're going to have super obedient, in air quotes, children, <laughs> or we're going to have children that are just recklessly badly behaved because they've just thrown everything out of the window. Yeah, that's it. And, and I think it it's really hard, isn't it? Because I think our our brains want something as black and white. You either do this or you don't. Whereas actually behaviour and psychology, and is it's all in that in-between phase of the gray area which everybody hates <laughs> and yeah I, and I think I think as parents who are bringing our children up slightly differently as well a lot of these structures and these kind of expectations just don't apply to us because we are doing it differently and because of that it's harder to predict how things are going to go and I think a lot of 
a lot of our I know when I was when I did the podcast with Naomi Fisher she was saying that a lot of the assumptions about how uh, teenagers behave are based on a repressive school system that they spend nine hours a day in they're not based on children who are given freedom and autonomy and respect in the home environment and so I think that's one thing that is quite nice to feel that sometimes we forget that we think that we're bucking a trend by not putting our children into school but also they're bucking a trend as well by not being into school and as a result they they will they will develop differently to other children and in in positive ways yeah and it's um yeah I I I just love it I think there's there's more and more information out there now and you mentioned great people there that you know we, we are starting to understand a lot more about psychology how the brain works and and all of this and this is genuinely again for for me personally because I spend a lot of my time studying animal psychology and how their brains work and really trying to get into the intrinsic motivation of behaviors and and all of this it's just so akin with human behavior that because it's coming down to a, a basis of understanding it and I see my parents struggle so much with my boys that they don't even recognize it but purely because they struggle with the air quote boy behavior that it's much more physical compared to my niece who will sit there quite quietly and play with some arts and crafts stuff whereas the boys are like no absolutely not or if they are going to do that then it's it's extremely messy (laughs) and everything comes out I mean think about the difficulty for parents that have girls that don't conform to that gender role it's I mean because there is a certain amount of tolerance of boys who are rambunctious uh, but girls who are rambunctious is even harder I think for some generations or for some people to look in and see that because what they see is a girl behaving badly as opposed to a boy that's high-spirited yeah and it is and it is so interesting and I'm I'm not sure if I'm going off on a tangent here but I'm going to go with my my thought flow and <laughs> um, I I met my sister yesterday and I, I think I've mentioned before that she's actually a secondary school teacher. So we are complete polar opposites in parenting style. I'm the the fluffy one. She's more, more rule-based, more definitely more stricter, stricter, stricter than I am. Um, that's not to say, you know, she's one of these evil people that like beats her children or anything, but a lot more expectations of manners and, and etiquette actually. And she's been putting her daughter into a preschool ahead of trying to prepare her for school. So some element of, of, of forward planning and the feedback she's getting from the school is actually, yeah, she is so intelligent. She is already ahead of where she should be for her age. Um, we really like that she comes to tell us when another child is doing something wrong. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I was like, so now we're just feeding in a little tattletale personality that you really like. I'm like, surely that's not going to help when she gets older. But it's fed into that that manners bit that both my sister and my brother-in-law love, which is that oh, she's really intelligent. It's really good. It's quietly, does what she's told. Yeah, why is that the expectation that that we're striving for? And then me and my husband were talking and we were like, actually, do you know what? Possibly a bit controversial, but would we care, certainly within the next several years, if we were told that the, the boys weren't intelligent, but if they could communicate effectively, if they were well regulated on an emotional front and 
they're you know just genuine nice human beings pleasant to be around and people enjoy their company is is that a bad thing yeah and I think I think so you're absolutely right and I think so often the manners and the etiquette that people want from school children are completely different to the manners and etiquette that actually people respond to in adult life this Mm. sitting down being quiet being studious doing what you're told uh ratting out other people these are not things (laughs) that endear you to people when you're older and and there's no doubt that um it's funny how how a lot of the manners and etiquette that we want from children when they're school age are not manners and etiquette that we seek out in other adults. And I think that's one lovely thing about home education is that you end up with children that you really want to hang out with because they're very much more like kind of mini adults in the fact that they're very autonomous. They speak their mind. They're, they're enabled to, to sort of uh, have their own opinions and have their own uh, perspectives on life much more so than perhaps if you're in a school system where quite often, even if it's not the, the teachers trying to encourage you to conform to a certain ideal, your peers will get you to conform to yet another ideal. And so there's a lot of pressure. Okay, so today's been a fascinating little run through of manners and etiquette. Um, And I think it's one of those uh, interesting things that I think the the longer you home educate, the the different your perspectives shifts a little bit sometimes on manners and etiquette. So next time, Joe, we are going to be talking about discipline and compliance. So quite similar in lots of ways. Yes, it's a meaty one, isn't it? So so do listen out for our next podcast with Joe Moorcroft on discipline and compliance. And Joe, thank you so much for joining me today talking about manners and etiquette. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Home Education Matters podcast. See you at the next one. Have a lovely day.